Hello and welcome to another episode of Adventures in .NET. I'm Sean Claywell, your host, and with me today, co-host Caleb Wells. Hey, Caleb. Hey, Al. Hey, how hey. you doing, Sean? Good. 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 Uh, yeah, been a busy week for me, and mm. I need, there's lots of yard work I need to do, but it's just too hard to get outside. Hot to get outside, so triple ditch temperature. So I'm just going to try to stay cool inside and just let my grass grow. <laughs> yeah, hey, you know, it's the, your grass is happy outside and you're happy inside so you know everybody's happy <laughs> there you go happy happy joy joy yep yep <laughs> all right so it's just the two of us today i thought uh, maybe we could talk about uh, some things that i've been working on lately and uh the thing that i've been uh, tasked with lately is doing some end-to-end front-end testing so i went yep. out and evaluated some of the tools that are out there compared some of the ones that i've worked with a little bit in the past and some of the new ones that have came out and things like that. So kind of the things that are looking at were Selenium. You know, Selenium's been around for a long, long, long time. A lot of people know it for using front-end testing and end testing and things like that. So it's been out, out there for quite a long time. It's got a lot of support, a lot of community out there to help you with things on it. But uh, I don't know, it seemed like it kind of been surpassed by some of the newer tools. So I, I looked at those. I looked at Cypress. Cypress I've used a little bit before in the past, and it was nice. It's got a nice environment. It's very friendly, but it does have some limitations and things like that out there. So uh, some of the things that I found, you re- it doesn't do well with multiple domains. Doing authentication for all the different tests can be a little bit tricky from what I've learned. And, and so I kind of looked at some other ones, and I stumbled upon... Playwright. And I'd never heard about it before, but, you know, was when I was trying to just research the ones out there, I kept on, you know, finding people saying, check this out, check this out. So I looked at Playwright and it's actually a Microsoft product, which surprised me. If it was Microsoft product, you'd think I would have heard about it with all the, <laughs> you know, involvement that I have with people that do Microsoft things and some of the groups that I belong in. So, yeah, so it was, it was uh, surprising to me, but it definitely is a great product. And I liked it because of all the different features that it had. And it integrated well for me into VS Code. So there's a plugin you can use right in VS Code to do Playwright stuff and makes it really, really, really easy. And one of the nice things about Playwright is you can write your tests in like five different languages. So whatever language you're comfortable in, you can write your test in. So you can write it in TypeScript, which is what I ended up using but you could also just write it in plain JavaScript. You can use Python. So they have an API where you can you know, just use it in Python and run your tests there. Of course, it runs in .NET. So you, if you want to write C-sharp tests in Visual Studio or VS Code, you can do that with Playwright. And it also has uh, Java capabilities. So pretty much most of the major environments that you m- might be needing to run end-to-end tests, front-end tests, things like that, you can do that in Playwright. So that was really cool. So where I started on it is, uh, yeah, is that uh, in VS Code, it actually has a recorder. So you can launch this recording session in VS Code and it will bring up a browser and then you can just click around the browser and type in whatever you would normally do if you wanted to do it as a, an automated test. So and it automatically records all the different selectors for the elements. So it's going to say, okay, I'm going to look for this CSS ID or this ID or this class or I mean, whatever it needs to do to isolate what you're clicking on, it'll do that and record it in the tests. 
And then it also records your events. So as you click on something, it'll record that as, as an event there. And so you can do that through the whole process that you would run a write a test, stop it, and then go back and, and modify the test. You, normally, you're going to have to modify it to make it more generic and, and support how you would really want to have it done automated way. Mm-hmm. And one of the really nice things about it is is it has the ability to save your authentication. So if you're running the test and you're doing a whole bunch of different tests, it will actually save the browser's cookies and local storage into a file for it to reuse every time it runs a test. So it's going to run this test and it's going to load in that file. So it's going to restore all the cookies and record your local storage so it doesn't have to re-authenticate. There was a downside in that the system that I was using was actually storing authentication in the session, not in mm. cookies or in local storage. So it doesn't grab the session when you tell it to grab you know, authentic- authentication. There is a way to do it in Playwright. And I tried to work with it and it, it just ended up being a bit difficult. So if you're going to do authentication where you think where you're putting things in the session, it's going to take a little bit of work to get that set up, but uh, it's totally doable. So that was all good. That worked for me. And then uh, you write your tests and it runs it in multiple browsers, which is a really nice thing about Playwright as well. So it supports more browsers than Cypress did. So Playwright will launch a Chromium browser. It will launch a Firefox browser and it will even launch a WebKit browser all at the same time. So when you're running your tests, it will you know, open up three different windows. Or if you have more tests than that, it'll open up you know, a bunch of different windows and running them all in parallel. And you can run it in a headed mode. So if you want to actually watch the test, how it works and, and, and kind of catch some ideas of what you want to change or maybe you need to debug something that's not working right, you can actually watch it as it do, does it. Then, then, of course, when you're actually going to run it, maybe in your, your CI pipeline, something like that, or your CD pipeline, it will run it headless. So it'll be more performant that way. Do you, is this app going to be used um, in the mobile space? And if so, does, how does Playwright, do you know how it handles mobile web emulation? Yeah, it actually has mobile em- emulation in it. So I, I don't know the full list of all the different ones that it, that it can emulate. Yeah. But it can at least emulate G- Google Chrome for Android and mm-hmm. mobile Safari. So it'll do those. Cool. And I think they have some okay. some more that I haven't experimented with. So that was that was really nice there. So my current project isn't really geared toward mobile, but it's nice to know that if I need to on some project in the future, I can do that with mobile. So that's that's great. Yeah. And one thing that also made it easier on the tests for Playwright versus some of the other tools is I didn't have to tell it to wait for things to show up. So as you 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 click on something and then you have maybe it has to change the page or um, something or has to yeah. delay some sort of delay. You don't have to yeah. tell it your, yourself to do that. It will automatically do it. Now it has a set amount of time it will wait before it'll assume, okay, this isn't mm-hmm. working, but that's adjustable. So if you need to configure something that you know this step is going to take longer, you can put in saying this step, wait this long. Or if you just want to kind of slow things down and, and make sure that everything has longer to wait before it auto fails, you can do that in the, the global configuration as well. So that's all great. Yeah. Does it work with the Shadow DOM? Right. Because I know a lot of the spa frameworks rely on that. I didn't really look at it, but I think it will. 
I think it, it can see sure. through into the shadow dom and uh, let you get into the different frames of that fairly cool. easy. So yeah, so pretty much all all different things you want to do, it, it can do it. And uh, it has a like, especially in in VS Code when I was using it, I wanted to debug it so I could launch the test in VS Code and debug in debug mode and set my breakpoints and then see okay this didn't work the way it was supposed to. What's it yeah. seeing as, was it able to find that selector after I changed it? Or is it a, a, one of those timeout issues or things like that? It can do all of that. So it can launch it and you can do it there. Or one of the other things you can do is it will actually record what it sees as it runs through the test. So maybe you're, you need to debug, debug something that's in your, your CID, CD pipeline. You can tell it to record all the different screenshots and it will do a snapshot every time it goes through that. And so mm. it will write a report to a location that you want to. And then you can go back and look at that and say, okay, this is where it failed. And at that point in time, this is what it saw. And this is what it saw for the the DOM. And this is what the screenshots look like, all those types of things. So very, very powerful on doing what you need to do and figuring out what's not working right when it's not working right. So really good. Yeah, all the all the browsers, you know, because it's going to launch different processes. So they're all isolated. One thing that I had to do in my test is we were using external authentication. So we were going out to, to Azure to do the authentication and it was able to, to follow that. So that was something that was really nice, that, you know, where we have a, a local domain for the main website. But once it goes out to, to authentication, it goes out to Azure. So the domain's going to change. Some right. tools don't really jive with that. They don't want you to switch yeah. domains. It's, yeah. So yeah, this this worked and it did it. So uh, nice. it didn't take too much work. I worked and I did authentication. I did some basic tests within about three or four days of just learning and playing and, and evaluating and doing things like that. Yeah. It was awesome. You know, I really can't think of something that I wouldn't be able to do that I would need to do yeah. in this tool. I'm surprised that neither one of us had heard about it until you mentioned it a couple of podcasts ago, right? Because it seems yeah. awesome. I actually just pulled up the website. It's uh, playwright.dev. And, and I was curious if you dealt with this, but it says that you can actually have it generate code by recording your actions, and then it will save it into the languages it supports for you. That's, yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's yeah. When I was talking about you, you, you launch VS Code and then hits this little record yeah. button. Yeah, that's that's what it's doing there. Okay. Is it's, it, okay. You, it will launch the browser, and as you click yeah. on things, you can actually see the code in VS Code being generated. So step by step, okay. you can actually watch. You're clicking on something, a line of code appears yeah. in your VS Code <laughs> as this is what this is what you would have to write in order to have done that's what wild. you just did. Yeah. Yeah. That was really cool. Cypress had some of that, that capabilities, those capabilities, doing a recorder yeah. and things like that. So that was good for Cypress too. But this was just so easy. And like, like you said, it can generate it in multiple languages. So if somebody is more of a back-end C-sharp developer, they can have it generate C-sharp code for them and it would run it that way. Another thing I, I kind of experimented with is I could do direct API calls, which was really cool. So yeah. I want to skip touching... Uh, testing the front end in the browser, I could test our endpoints, each one of those, to make sure that those are working as well. So I was able to uh, 
successfully do an OAuth request call to get a bearer token, save that, and then issue that against our API on the back end to say, am I getting a successful call? And then the data that I'm getting returned, is that what I'm expecting? And all your expectations, you could use all sorts of different expectations you can do, just like you do with any unit test type thing. So you can say, I expect this to return, you know, a JSON document with these properties. And you, the property can, you could say, it has to be this value. Or you can write a regular expression and say, the value for this property must be in this kind of a regular expression valid format. So I could, you know, say that, you know, it's got to be start with these letters and then have four digits, any four digits or something like that. You could do that with a regular expression against the test there. So very, very nice. Yeah, absolutely. You've got me thinking about how we could use this with uh, the new Blazor apps we're developing. Uh, oh, yeah. How would that one work, right? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, just download the extension that they have for VS Code. Uh, okay. It's just going go into the extensions for VS Code and look what's available and get Playwright. And it'll install. And then you just do an like an NPM or MPX Playwright space test. And that's how you would launch your test. But the extension, it'll give you another it'll icon on the left for extensions in your test areas. And then at the top of that, there's a, a toolbar where you can go in and say, start recorder. And then uh, I did this all in a, in a TypeScript project. So that was really simple to do there and give it the configuration file. And the configuration file has a lot of different options that you can get in there and, and set up um your base address, if you want to have everything going to a certain URL, it can have that global config for authentication. So every test, it will run this, you know, login thing first. And then you can make a lot of your tests conditional. You can say, you know, if, if this fails or that fails or or if you if I see this selector, then do this thing. Or if I see a different selector, you can you can do that. So you can you can do a conditional type of tests and selection and actions in your tests. So... Yeah, it worked great for me. Very cool. Yeah. So, how do you think you would use this? Check it out. Yeah. Hmm? How do you think you how would I, use? How do you think? Yeah. Well, I mean, really, it sounds like it runs the gamut, right? Of testing UI functionality and the flow there, but then authentication, API endpoints. My only question is if we could actually, you can install NPM packages in Visual Studio, right? As part of mm-hmm. a project. And then you can have MS build targets to run these. I'm wondering if it would work there because, right, all of our developers are Visual Studio with the whole .NET, C Sharp, the whole shebang deal. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I would I would it do it there. Awesome. You know, yeah, yeah, I would do it there. I think there's probably an extension to put it in VS Code and then have it hmm. run the recorder and do the generating of the code within for C Sharp instead of. TypeScript. Mm-hmm. It's just that I was doing mostly Good. front-end type stuff, and I already had, it was an Angular project that I was testing, so I already had TypeScript yeah. in there. So I was able to just, I made a separate project that was just the Playwright test. So rather than okay. inter- actually integrating it mm-hmm. into my Angular project, I kept this separate because gotcha. we want to launch this, we want to launch it after it gets deployed. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, Smart. you know, we don't want to build the whole application into this little test container to run the tests and and run there. So we made it a separate project so that at the end, once it's been deployed in our, our test environment or then our staging environment and even out into production, that it then launches a new container 
that runs these tests and generates the reports. So you can set up your environment files so we can read. I was able to successfully integrate this into an Azure pipeline. It can read the uh, environment variables that you assign to the pipeline. So in your in your YAML file or your, or your pipeline within Azure, you set up your environment variables and then Playwright can read those so it knows the various different things. For this pipeline, I need to use these values or this endpoint, so on and so forth. So because I'm running in test or I'm running in in stage or things like that. You, so you can set those all up and the script will read those right out of out of your pipeline. That is awesome. So yeah, yep. it deals with frames. So if you can you're gonna deal with that, it doesn't have a problem with, with doing frames. It can do mocking and things like that. So lots of different things Accessibility there. Accessibility testing. Uh, like I said, it can do ah. screenshots. So yeah. if if you want it to tell it at this point in time, take a screenshot. It can do that. Cool. And then I say it'll generate a report out there for you to review and yeah. say Yep, everything succeeded, or this test failed, that test failed, so on and so forth, and go for there. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at their docs right now, and I just came across uh, testing for accessibility, and <laughs> they have they extend off of Axe, which I'm sure most people who have to deal with accessibility have used at one point or another. So that's really cool, right? Because there there's so many things that go into that the minutia of accessibility it's pretty broad mm-hmm. the deeper you get yeah so here's a so, here's a yeah here's a in their docs here it says talking about it can emulate an iphone 11 so you can say oh. you know mpx playwright yeah. code gen and device equals iphone 11 and then you can say go out to like wikipedia or something like that what what it has in the doc so it can do all of that yeah nice. uh, i just i wish that they would give an easier way to save the session out into the file mm. so Maybe they'll add that gotcha. at some point in time, but right, yeah, all right. And then the docs are really good. It talks. It has all the different API endpoints that you can call into to use for this. It talks about Electron. So if you're writing Electron thing, it can go at an Electron. That's under the experimental section. So that's something that uh, probably they're they're working on a bit. But uh, lots of different things. And I was trying to f- see if I could find. A, Real quick, uh, a way to you know run the the recorder in Visual Studio to generate C sharp. I don't see the extension for that listed here, right off the bat. Well, but if I'm sure it's if there. anyone who's listening has used Playwright and done it in Visual yeah. Studio, let us know. Yeah, yep. Uh, Very cool. Community links. I appreciate you. Yeah. Oh, there. Yeah, you uh, digging into it because this right you mentioned it and I looked at it briefly, but then work comes back around so it's it's nice to sit down and uh look at it a little closer it's it's obviously very well done so it can even deal with tabs you know i don't know how it's doing that but you know since it's it's launching its own little browser that it controls it can somehow tell that to switch tabs that's what it seems like in this in what i'm reading about it right now so yeah yeah Hmm. that would be interesting right you're you're in you're in an app that you own and you click on a button or a link that opens in a new tab pointing to something else you own, and it goes from the end-to-end testing of one tab to the other. That would be wild. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's some of the hardest things to do and to ten- testing for is, you mm-hmm. know, switch, opening new tabs or pop-ups right. or dialogues and, and things like that. So it could do that. You know, I had to go in there and kind of futz a little bit with some of the selectors because yeah. sometimes in each one of the browsers, they might not use the same selector so I did have to write some conditional 
you know, branches saying, if I'm running the Chromium test, look for this selector. But if I'm running the WebKit test, the selector is different. So I have to say, use, you know, do this. So that was one thing that's disappointing, but that's not really the tool's fault. That's just because the browser vendors don't all, you know, have the same selectors that they're going to register for. Good stuff. And it was fast. So is there, so, yeah. is there uh, anything else you can think of that you want to I, I think that covers, I think that covers pretty much what I learned. You know, it was, there's a lot more of the details you can get in by going through the documentation on the website, but really that's the, the gist of, of what you need an end-to-end tool for is to be right. able to test the different browsers, handle all the different types of environments that it might uh, need to be ran in and handle right. authentication and all those things. So yeah, if it you're looking like for it, that. It really, um, it checks so many boxes. Right, it does. So, yeah. yeah, and then it's it's uh, out there in GitHub. So you know the code for it is out there. So if somebody wants to contribute to it, they can contribute to it. There's an issues tab, so there's definitely some things that people are having some issues with. But uh, there's a bunch of outstanding PRs from people. So people are trying to fix things and uh, yeah, contribute and just make it a better product. So yeah, even though it's for Microsoft, it's it worked for me. Hopefully, it worked for you and worked for everybody else. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So somebody is a specializing in in end end tests, and and they've used Cypress or Selenium or some of the other tools that are out there. Yeah. Let us know how this one compares. Yeah. Send us a message. I'm on Twitter. I am at .net superhero. Yeah. And reach out. Yeah, absolutely. Reach out. Reach out. Yeah. Yep. All right. So that kind of covers us for today. You know, kind of a short little discussion, but hopefully something people can benefit from. We can move on to picks. I will that's make good. a pick today, and it's it's something that's a little bit different. I don't. This kind of popped up on one of my articles to read feeds somewhere about this guy that was a beatboxer, and he went on The Voice, but the in France, and so he's he's from France, and he went on The Voice from France, but he's a beatboxer, but not a normal beatboxer. He actually beatbox makes sounds of instruments, so not just drums and beats and things like that but he can actually simulate like an orchestra or various different imp- instruments in in the orchestra and things like that and he uses a little one of the little looping devices and so he'll start with one instrument and then have that loop and then he'll add in another instrument for the different different voice so on and so forth and then he sings as well so i'm going to post a youtube video of his all the different stages that he went through on the voice, but he also has other videos and things like that there out there. I mean, he did, he did like, uh, he did Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin. Mm. That was really cool. His version <laughs> of that he did in in the air tonight by Phil Collins. He did a Queen, a couple Queen songs. So he's doing some some good stuff out there. So if you want to check out a very interesting beatboxer, yeah. check out these videos that, that's in the show notes. Uh, oh, let me just say his name in case somebody uh, doesn't get the link. He goes by the name MB14. His name is Mohammed Belk here, something like that. So I'm sure you can just search for MB14 beatboxer and uh, and find what he what he does. Yeah, I'll take what's a look. your pick? My pick today. So right, it it was Prime Day recently, last week or whatever, and uh, I got a notification about a. 16 terabyte NAS internal hard drive that was less than $300. And I was like, ooh, all right. So I checked it out and looked at, you know, the reviews and 
picked it up and installed it in our home media server. And I just looked it back up on Amazon and it's still discounted. It's not under 300. It's 325. But that's, I mean, that's, that's a pretty good price for 16 terabytes and it's their Red Pro NAS version. So it's supposed to be, you know, long shelf life. So if anybody's looking for more storage, which of course you can never have enough storage, then, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good deal. Cause I, uh, about a month, month and a half ago, I bought a, a 12 terabyte external dot drive. And mm. I think it was about 250 bucks, 250, 260 bucks, mm. things like that. So if you got 16 for 40 or 50 bucks more than me, that's definitely a good deal. Right. Yeah. Cool. All right. So I already mentioned my uh, Twitter handle. You know, if they want to give us feedback, want to mention dun, stuff, dun, dun, dun. or even let us know uh, <laughs> that they have somebody that would like to be a guest on the show, they can reach to me. I am at .NET Superhero. Yep. Dun, 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 dun. We, we get two <laughs> in one show. And then um, I'm at Caleb Wells Coates. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, Sean, yeah, thanks good. Yeah, all of our listeners for listening to the show. We love to hear from you. So get in touch with us. And we'll catch you all on the next episode of Adventures in .NET. Bye, y'all.